You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. talking to my son this morning, and I have to say that on this day of all days, I confess that most sermons fall short. This is a day for singing and for music, for dancing and rejoicing, for pulling out all of the stops of our celebrations. I'm not so sure it's for sermonizing. One of my clergy colleagues back in Washington State, we were part of a lectionary group, and he was a pastor of a Lutheran church uh, on the way up to Mount Rainier. And that church, church's Easter tradition, was to switch out the coffee that they always served after worship for their fellowship time. And in place of the coffee, they poured champagne and sparkling sodas. And I was always so jealous because it was a visible and rich reminder that this day of Easter is a day of celebration and hope. It's a day to elicit cheers. As our psalm for the day reminds us, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Or as our reading from Isaiah proclaims, for I am about to create a new heaven and a new earth and the former things of old will not come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. This new thing which God is doing takes everyone by surprise. First of all, the women in our story today, the women who had been with Jesus, they come by the first light of day. They make their way outside of the city. And these are the ones who had been following Jesus since the early days of ministry in Galilee. And these women had been benefactors of Jesus's ministry, the ancient world's version of Patreon supporters. They underwrote his ministry financially so that Jesus could travel from place to place teaching and healing And now with their hopes and dreams shattered, with hearts broken and the morning sun barely visible, they leave the protection of their homes and they walk in the darkness to close the chapter on this tragedy they've experienced. And we know this practice all too well, don't we? Every time tragedy strikes when our hearts are broken by violence or terror or disaster, And in that strange calm where no one seems to know what to do that comes after, we respond with ritual. Sometimes communal, often personal. I think of those makeshift shrines that appear at sites of tragedy of flowers and messages and teddy bears, candles and ribbons. All of those tangible signs of love, of grief, of solidarity, those candlelight vigils 
the singing that we do, the tears that flow. There's something about tragedy that pushes us towards ritual and traditions, those from our collective past. It's as if deep inside we just need to do something, anything to express our grief, our love, our affection, to mark this loss that we feel. So early in the morning at the break of dawn, the women come to do that. They come to the tomb carrying burial spices and ointments that they had lovingly prepared. They'd learned the ancient ways of mixing those spices from their mothers and their aunts. Each one of them had probably participated in the preparation of burials of their elders. And we can imagine that those ointments were fashioned together with love, prayer, and tears. It was tradition to care for the dead, to show respect and honor, to give back to those who had given so much to you. Caring for the dead was in those days often women's work, but at least they had something to do. They had been there to see everything unfold in the previous days. They'd watched with horror As Jesus was marched through the streets by Roman guard, they'd closed their eyes and they'd shuddered as he struggled for breath and cried out in agony, and they wept when he closed his eyes for the last time. And during all of that, they knew they were helpless against the mighty power of the Roman Empire. There was nothing that they could do to stand up against the occupying forces of Rome which crushed opponents with precision and zeal, carefully orchestrating state violence so that it could elicit the most terror and quell any urge to rise up in response. We too, we know that feeling of hopelessness in the face of violence or tragedy when problems seem too enormous and our resources too few and the news just seems to numb us as we see image upon image of buildings turned to rubble, refugees fleeing bombs and tanks. And we add those images to the list of unsolvable crises we face, climate change, systemic racism, the opioid epidemic, the political polarization in our world, the rise of Christian nationalism. What can we do? And like so many others of his disciples at Jesus' execution, the women never left. Rather, they had looked on as Joseph of Arimathea had taken down Jesus' body. They followed along behind to see where he would lay the body of Jesus to rest. And then they left quickly and quietly to honor the Sabbath rest. And now as the sun begins its journey over the skies, they've retraced their steps. They're at the tomb, carved from rock. And we have to know this. We have to know this about the women. That what they are determined to do in this moment is not a neutral act in Luke's gospel. Jesus had been executed, killed by Roman troops, occupying Jerusalem in a grisly manner meant to humiliate and shame him and to serve as a warning to others not to stir up trouble. 
And so it may seem small to us, but this act of theirs was risky. And it took great courage. Courage to go to the tomb with the real danger of being recognized, of being seized by soldiers, of being accused of being co-conspirators with Jesus. But the women would not be intimidated. The women are there in silent defiance to make a memorial, to express in ritual their grief, to say to the world, this man mattered to us. Only they find the stone is rolled away. And they walk in confused and they look around, only discover that the tomb is empty and the body of their beloved teacher is missing. And suddenly through the mist of their bewilderment, voices break in asking, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Except they weren't looking for the living, were they? They were searching for a dead man, seeking to put an end to this part of their tragedy, hoping against hope that all these rituals they'd been handed down would suffice that somehow these spices would convey their affection, their grief, that they would find closure. Instead, the women at the empty tomb are startled by a revelation that Jesus is not here, he has been raised up by God, and then they are told to remember. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners to be killed on a cross and in three days rise up. And they do remember. They do. They start to remember Jesus' words, and it jolts them out of their grief. In that empty tomb, they remember all of the stories, the healings, the teachings. It all comes rushing back to them the forgiveness they experienced, the second chances they'd been given, the grace upon grace they had witnessed. And it floods their thoughts as an audacious idea begins to form in their minds. Could there be good news after all? Could tragedy not be the end of this story? Could God be doing something new in their midst? Still processing what they had seen and heard and remembered, the women race back to the disciples and they breathlessly share the news. The grave is empty and with no explanation how, as this might have happened, they share their improbable hope with them. He is risen. Alleluia. But they are met not with celebration, not with champagne and sparkling soda, but with disbelief. The disciples thought they were raving, spouting nonsense and idle tales. Why? Well, we might say because of the patriarchy. I mean, who puts stock in what women say anyway, right? Those other disciples, they're all holed up with fear in an upper room. They have faced the harsh reality that Jesus is dead, that the forces of hate have won again as they always do. Only one of those, Peter, thinks it's even worth checking out. He's sure that the women are too emotional, they're too unreliable, but just in case, just in case, 
Peter runs to the tomb, and there he sees it, the empty grave, but unlike the women, Peter has no vision, no revelation, no strangers in dazzling clothes, admonishing him to remember. So he heads back, still puzzling to himself. Could it be that empire doesn't have the last word, that death is not the end of this story? Just after our reading in Luke, the gospel writer gives us another story of resurrection. It's the story of two more disciples, and these two are on a long walk home. Their minds are clouded by fog and confusion of grief, yet somehow they decide to invite a stranger whom they met on the road to come with them and share a meal. And it's there at that table in Emmaus in an ordinary ritual of taking bread and giving thanks for it and breaking it and sharing it, that they remember. They remember another blessing at another meal, and suddenly in that moment they see the risen Christ clearly in front of them, and in the wonderfully maddening fashion of the gospel, the risen Christ immediately vanishes, and they are left staring at one another across the table. One strand can be found in all of these resurrection accounts, whatever the differences. The experiences of resurrection are always clouded in mystery. What exactly happens remains puzzling and elusive, slipping through our fingers, never easily understood or explained. And yet, even though it's mysterious, even though it's perplexing, Resurrection refuses to stay on the sidelines. It's always on the move in the gospel. It always keeps breaking into the story when it's least expected. To women wandering around a graveyard, to disciples on a road trying to get back to normal, to disciples huddled together with the windows closed and the doors locked, to a disciple with questions who doubts and yet somehow believes Resurrection breaks forth on a lake shore to fishermen who are hopelessly trying to return to their own lives, seeking some normalcy, and they're met with resurrection. Resurrection keeps breaking in. It keeps shaking things up. It keeps surprising us with its subversive power as it breaks the empire's violent grip on our world. You see, resurrection breaks in whenever we see acts of justice and mercy. Whenever beauty takes our breath away, when truth is spoken boldly, when love is given away without conditions, when creation is cared for, when kindness and forgiveness open up a new future for us, we meet resurrection. It's been two years since our congregation gathered in this sanctuary to celebrate Easter together. Much has changed. Much has changed. We've let go of some old practices. You've found a new minister. We found one another. And we've been surprised, I think, by some of the possibilities we found in new ways of doing things. We've discovered power and hope, gathering online and Zoom gatherings for prayers and reflections and studies. 
Our women's study has made all sorts of connections during this time through online gatherings. We've celebrated the gift of creation as we've made worship videos from our backyards or from our favorite green spaces. We may have been expecting only loss during this long pandemic, but I believe we've been met with resurrection too. Notice there is memory involved in these resurrection stories. Remember how he told you, those men at the tomb tell the women, and they do. They remember his words, which move them to share what they've seen and heard. Remember. Easter sermons are a way to remember, of retelling the unexpectedness of God's realm so that we can focus our vision to see through the mist of despair for the way things are and see and hope the new things which God is at work doing right now. Over the next 50 days of the Easter season as a faith community, we're taking up the spiritual discipline of reading through the book of Acts together. And we'll reflect on stories of those early followers of Jesus, those who were startled by resurrection and who found purpose and hope as God's Spirit led them in new amazing directions, far from their comfortable little corner of their world. And so you'll find in your bulletins a bookmark with this week's readings on it. And I invite you to join together this week as we read through those first four chapters of the Acts of the Apostles and we see the power of resurrection in those stories. You see, at the core of the Christian story is the stubborn belief that resurrection is still breaking into our world, into our lives, when we least expect it. Often when we're not even looking for it, resurrection happens. And as followers of the risen Christ, we're not just to be witnesses to resurrection. We're called to be instruments of resurrection, of God's new creation in the world. As resurrection breaks out all around us, we have to know, know that every act of forgiveness is resurrection opening up new possibilities. That every time we accept God's grace into our own lives, there's a resurrection stirring inside of us. And each time we stand up in solidarity with those who are marginalized and discounted, we're opening up the door of resurrection in our world. Every time a person who has been unhoused is given the chance to have a home, a place of shelter and safety. I believe resurrection is breaking into our world. The story of Easter reminds us that we never know where God is going to be acting next. God surprises us. And this is the good news of Easter, that resurrection breaks in. Resurrection interrupts our status quo. It's waiting for us to open our eyes. Resurrection, my friends, is persistent. And resurrection is here. Hallelujah. Can I have an hallelujah? Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Thanks for listening. 
We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.